Welcome to On the Record with Tiffany. There are heroes throughout San Antonio, men and women that go the extra mile to make lives better. During the next hour, you'll be inspired as we introduce you to these unsung heroes. And now here's your host, Tiffany Jones-Smith. And we are back for another episode of On the Record with Tiffany. Um, Today, I have one of my favorite people, Jennifer Milton, the Chief Administrative Officer over at uh, University Transplant Center. Um, Jennifer, can you just talk to us a little bit about what we are experiencing right now with COVID-19? You've got a wealth of of, uh, experience in the world of transplantation, but now you have some personal experience with COVID. I heard last Friday was um, totally switching on a dime almost every day what we were doing to deliver care to our patients and keep our patients safe and uh, manage COVID in the institution. And I could go on and on on how it's changed my professional life. And then on Friday morning, I got diagnosed with COVID. And uh, and um, uh, I, I think I'm still processing it, although... Um, First and foremost, I'm so blessed and fortunate to be among the people who seem to be largely asymptomatic. I tire a lot more easily. Uh, I become a lot more obsessed with single news articles about COVID and uh, all the new uh, medical journals being published. But um, by and large, uh, both my husband and I are feeling really well and uh, and uh, dependent on grocery delivery services. <laughs> Thank you, H-E-B. <laughs> Can you, so asymptomatic, you're asymptomatic, but what does that mean, like when you say you're, you're more fatigued? Um, well, it's a great question, and one I find myself talking to a lot of my staff about now that I'm, you know, working from home is, um, I think I, I need to be more in tune into very subtle changes in my body and things that all of us are quick to say are just allergies or maybe just a normal stressful job or um, were in fact probably signs of COVID. So on Thursday, I had a um, very mild stuffy nose and that was it. But my husband wasn't feeling well. And um, it's a luxury to work in healthcare and have access to so many experts. So we have an infectious disease specialist on our transplant team and I called him to kind of explain what was happening to both of us. And he was like, get tested. And, uh, <laughs> in a well oiled machine behind, uh, at the nursing school at university of Texas health, San Antonio. Uh, and they, you didn't have to leave your car. They came out, um, did some great coaching and counseling and, uh, tested me right through the window and got me on my way. And I got my results that afternoon. So, uh, again, just subtle medical changes I was having. And, um, and I think like a lot of working people, or even, even if that's working hard in the home, you just are so quick to chalk these things up to stress. And um, it turned out I had it, which is, I think, what I've been talking to my staff about at work, um, to be tuned into your own health, be suspicious of minor changes, because... I am so fortunate to, to have uh, weathered this storm halfway through it with mild, almost no no symptoms. But I absolutely know that isn't true of uh, so many people. Um, and I, uh, I'm so glad my doctor encouraged me to be tested. I don't think I would have because the changes were so mild. Um, and um, I couldn't bear the thought that I would have been a person transmitting it to others. So um, we try to coach people at work. If you even experience minor changes, don't go into work, monitor your symptoms. And if you do see a change in your baseline, go get tested. And uh, testing is so um, accessible now, thankfully. And so uh, to my listeners, if you if you are experiencing something that that feels like allergies, like your usual allergies, because I, I have allergies, lots of, in anybody that's in Texas is, is, has, has uh, symptoms, has the potential of having symptoms that look like allergies. You should, in this COVID environment, monitor that. You've got right. a healthcare professional, one of the best in the country, telling you, listen to your body. 
and and stay away from other people. Of course, all those normal things. I took incredible comfort. I, I probably had it for a few days um, before I got infected. And um, I was, it, I can't tell you how comforting it was to be able to say to everyone who had, you know, was, had to ask you, who were you around and all the tracers that they're doing that I said I was never within six feet of anyone. And, uh, and at all times, we both were wearing masks. And, um, and uh, so that just gave me great comfort that uh, I was definitely an asymptomatic a person with COVID, but um, took taking all the precautions to protect other people. <laughs> and that is, that's now that's your personality is to to do the right thing and protect other people, um, and it's something that everybody that is in here shot of of uh, on the record can do. Like we all can be uh, heroes. Now, not everybody can do what Jennifer does because she. <laughs> She actually really saves lives every single day. <laughs> that's, that's what, what uh, um, University Transplant Center does, but uh, literally. <laughs> but, but we all can, can do that by maintaining our, our social distance and by uh, wearing masks. If it weren't for people like Jennifer and the team that, that she works with at, Transplant, at University Transplant Center, uh, a lot of lives would be lost because people need kidneys, they need uh, livers, and, and UTC does that. So uh, keeping them healthy is uh, a heroic act on your part if you wear your mask and stay socially distanced. So go ahead. I, I couldn't agree more. I, I, I'll come back to when I got the phone call that I was positive. And again, I didn't think I was positive. I thought it was just overly cautious that they wanted to test me. But my immediate thought when I was on the phone and they said, your test results were positive instantaneously, uh, such a comfort to think I was always around somebody else wearing a mask and I had a mask. And that's how you protect each other is two people wearing a mask and you stay six feet apart and um, I, I know there's a lot of political views on this, but I can tell you when so many of us are going to get this exact same phone call, uh, mm -hmm. absolutely next year we're going to get this phone call. And I know that everyone's gut reaction is going to be the same. Who have I been around and how was I protecting them and how are they protecting themselves? So I can't stress it enough that um, it's the most important thing we can do to society right now is uh, take care of each other that way. What, what are you all seeing? Uh, in terms of, of healthcare professionals uh, getting COVID-19? Um, well, interestingly, um, we are, I gave a recently gave a webinar um, nationally to talk about how San Antonio was doing preparing for and responding to COVID. And, um, and I, I first began, and I just wouldn't feel right not to say it now, how grateful Texas is and all of the other states in the country to New York. Uh, New York was so transparent as to what was happening to them, what they had done inadequately, and then what they were learning. So the transplant centers and the dialysis units and the organ donation programs in New York quickly began to meet twice a week on a webinar and they were information sharing, just this amazing collaboration. And then they would come out and share it with the whole country. And so what we began to do, not just in transplantation, but in healthcare was listen to New York. Uh, so things like, uh, um, this is just a minor little thing, but unbelievable how many healthcare providers it protected. They would put the patients in the ICU rooms that required ventilators, move their beds closer to the door, and actually keep the ventilators outside of the door so that when staff had to go, staff didn't have to go into the room for just routinely changing the settings on ventilators or IV pumps or other, you know, minor equipment changes. And that kept the patient safe but allowed staff to not go in the room uh, a fraction of the time. And then when people had to go into the room, they all went in together. So what we found is we, the patient to healthcare provider transmission was very low. The healthcare providers that were getting COVID in large part 
were getting it in their own homes, um, uh, ironically, like myself. Um, and uh, because I think your defenses are down, and, and we often talk about, you've read a lot of stories where physicians, surgeons, nurses, um, dentists come home, they, their, their spouses uh, shut them down in the laundry room, they have to take off their uniforms there and, and then put on, go right to the shower before they come in the house. But, uh, but forgetting that it was that spouse going in and out of the grocery store or that uh, uh, relative coming over to drop something off. So uh, I think that the transmissions from patient to provider and to healthcare worker uh, were lower than we expected because we were listening to other people in the country and how they were preventing it. Uh, in our transplant program, another really important thing we did within almost hours of hearing the national emergency being called is we uh, prohibited any meeting with more than one type of provider in the room. So we wouldn't have two social workers in the same room, no two doctors, no two surgeons, um, and uh, eliminated to the best we could any in-person meeting. And uh, because transplant teams were small, in general, highly specialized and small, and one transmission in could almost have knocked out an entire team. And that was advice we got from those uh, Northeastern transplant programs. Wow, that is wonderful. Um, to my audience, to anybody that's listening, uh, come back for our, our next segment because we have Jennifer Milton here, a healthcare expert and a chief administrative officer at University Transplant Center. She is giving us some advice on how to deal with COVID-19 as she has it. And she's just a calming figure in this, this crisis that we're in. And we need that. We need calm, resolute leadership. And we have that in Jennifer. And you are listening to On the Record with Tiffany. I'm Tiffany Smith, Chief Executive Officer of the Texas Kidney Foundation, and I'm here to talk to you about your kidney health. Health is the most important asset we possess. COVID-19 has exposed the unhealthy nature of our population. One in three Americans are at risk for chronic kidney disease. In absolute numbers, that translates into about 600,000 San Antonians. Have you been diagnosed with diabetes? Have you been diagnosed with hypertension? Do you take blood pressure medicine? Do you have heart disease? Have you experienced heart failure? Do you have a history of dialysis or kidney failure in your family? If you said yes to two or more of those questions, you need to come and see us. Are you a part of that one in three? Is your sister? Is your brother? Is your mother? Texas Kidney Foundation offers free screenings. All you have to do is go to our website, www.txkidney.org. Check out our free screenings. You can either come to our office for an in-office visit, or we can come to you. You can schedule a screening or go to a screening near you. And we're back with Jennifer Milton from University Transplant Center. Uh, with On the Record with Tiffany. So Jennifer, uh, now that we know that you, you are the best looking uh, COVID-19 patient that I, I currently know, and I know a few, <laughs> I know a few at this point, um, let's talk a little bit about uh, how that's affected workflow. Because people, uh, we've been getting a lot of people telling us that they, uh, you know, they're not able to get their transplant or they're worried about getting a transplant. Is what's going to happen? Um, can you speak to that? Um, I, I can. Uh, boy, you know, my, my heart has broken for transplant patients. You know, it's already one of those, even I've done this for 26 years, but I still can't imagine being in someone's shoes hearing you're going to die without a transplant. So that's a reality patients face every day. Then you worry about the financial stressors of transplant. Everyone has heard transplants crazy expensive and people are immediately so worried about their health, their loved ones, the finances. And now you just swirl in a pandemic. Um, <laughs> I, 
at the time, I just, I'm a hugger and I just want to hug them all and say, oh my gosh, we're going to take care of you. We're going to take care of you. But what I've learned from our patients has been amazing. And what I've learned is, first of all, transplant patients have isolated since this field of medicine began. Uh, we've always altered their immune system so that they had a successful transplant and they had to be extra cautious. Transplant patients have joked that this is just the rest of the world catching up with them. <laughs> so uh, that has been a great lesson that, that the pandemic, um, they've just continued what they've always done to have a successful transplant. Um, certainly, um, it's impacted uh, the number of organ donors um, and the timing of a transplant. So the number of organ donors that pass away, they had wanted to be a donor, they had authorized donation, or their family knew their wishes and wanted them to be a donor that are testing positive um, is heartbreaking. Um, if you look on the UNO statistical website, they trend by the week. And there were periods, depending on what part of the country you live in, that transplantation dropped down to almost nothing and donation dropped dramatically. But interestingly, the country is on another record-breaking uh, year of donation and transplantation. Uh, for nine years in a row, uh, we have broken records for the number of deceased organ donors and the number of transplants happening. Um, so that uh, we see that trend even with COVID positive and, and living in the pandemic. Um, so I think uh, we're adjusting. Um, we are uh, early on, we uh, delayed living donor transplants. Um, although many of the recipients uh, certainly were ready and needed their transplants as soon as possible. We were concerned for our living donors because um, they're very healthy and this is a very elective procedure, of course, uh, to give your kidney or part of your liver to save someone else's life. So we temporarily suspended those transplants and continued to transplant patients at the top of the waiting list. And after a month or about a month of that, what we found was our sickest patients, the ones at the top of the waiting list getting transplants, were doing exceptionally well. Uh, I think, again, because of what I said earlier, they were used to isolating. That's part of our normal training. And, uh, and then we felt a confidence in going forward and resuming living donor transplant. So uh, we only took a short pause and, uh, and have um, continued doing transplant at full speed. <laughs> Our surgeons would tell you this weekend, um, they never really left the OR. We transplanted a record number of kidneys this weekend. And that, that was, so you're still saving lives as always. Did the Center for Life you know, you've got the Living Donor Program and then you've got Center for Life. How's, how is all of that working to increase the number of, of uh, transplants that we're doing here in San Antonio? Because I think we're leading the, the country when it comes down to uh, having the best transplant doctors. That's not my opinion. That's a fact. But... <laughs> um, Living in San Antonio and needing a transplant is a blessing and a curse. It's a curse because anyone who's a transplant would tell you that's not where they wanted to end up. Yeah. But you have uh, two fantastic transplant programs that are highly innovative and pace-setting country. They really um, are. At our transplant center, our big push for innovation, you know, we're an academic medical center so all of our surgeons and physicians and nursing staff and allied health professionals, um, our goal is to innovate, uh, drive better changes in quality, uh, and kind of legacy care. What can we do now that changes the course of transplantation in the next 50, 100, 200 years? So innovations we're particularly proud of that really almost all were in 2018 and 2019 as we were... Uh, we're the only program in our region. Uh, we will give a person who has, does not have hepatitis C uh, medically viable organs from somebody that does have hepatitis C, and then we cure the virus. Uh, we transplanted an additional 20 kidney patients. None of them waited longer than six months for a kidney. And Tiffany, certainly you at Texas Kidney Foundation 
and your board know that the average wait for a kidney is often over five years. Right. So having, waiting more than six months for a wow. very kidney is um, remarkable. And one of our liver doctors, Fred Cordad, he and his partner, Eric Lawitz, were uh, the two uh, primary authors on, our, uh, on the uh, article that published in Lancet, Discovering the Cure for Hepatitis C. So we had access to those experts. We knew that we could cure that disease. And we knew that many people with only three or four years of life expectancy on dialysis and a wait of five to six years for kidney, um, we needed to do something else. And we're very proud that of all the transplants we've done, again, right over 20, all of them have uh, been cured of the hep C virus after transplant. <clears throat> Another real innovation for us is um, we were the first program in this region of Texas to pump livers and what that means is normally when a liver is donated you you know the image of carrying it in a cooler and putting it chilling it right. uh, before you put it in someone else we actually place the donor's liver on a what's called a normothermic pump and that um, keeps it warm and at, at the human temperature so the actual liver tissue doesn't go through that extreme cooling uh, and then rewarming. And for many people who donate their livers, and more and more, Tiffany, I know that you all have heard a lot about the kind of rise of fatty liver disease. Yeah. Um, so when you do have some fat cells in your liver, they don't do well in that cooling process. So we are very proud that we've transplanted uh, to date about 10 patients with livers that would have been buried. They would, uh, so we were proud that we were able to transplant them, put them on these pumps, keeping them at that warm temperature allowed them to be transplanted. Uh, we got to carry that donor's wish to its fullest, and um, all of our recipients have been doing really well. Uh, another big innovation for our transplant center has been we are the second largest living liver donation program in the U.S. So a loved one or an acquaintance or a stranger can give a portion of their liver to someone. And, um, and we did in April the, for the country's first paired liver exchange, something in the kidney world that's quite common mm -hmm. um, to take a two, you know, two individuals that don't match and pair them up with someone else. And uh, we've been able to successfully do that. Um, a few other centers have done it now, but we're now helping UNOS um, uh, with a pilot project on how to expand access to liver transplant through paired living liver donation. And uh, you mentioned the Center for Life. I think that's uh, uh, another innovation we're incredibly proud of. Um, and that uh, was we opened uh, UT, the University Health System, Texas Organ Sharing, TOSA, GenCure, and the San Antonio Eye Bank uh, we all collaborated and opened a 13,000 square foot dedicated center uh, for um, people who have passed away and have opted to donate tissues, cornea, or organs. Uh, we opened 24 days before the pandemic hit the United States. And, um, and really, through our collaborative efforts, have been able to preserve uh, the ability to do donation uh, in our region of the country um, that in a way we're very proud of. Um, so we've been open, I think it's 188 days now. I might have my math wrong, just over six months, seven months. And uh, we've done, um, um, I think it's 150 donors impacting 6,300 recipients. Wow. It's amazing what one donation can do. How many people can, are reached by one family being willing to donate a loved one's organs and taking that step? Donate America has an amazing initiative. You personally find it very interesting. I think the Kidney Foundation, what it's called, 83 Futures. And uh, 83 Futures is, is just what it says. One person creates a future for 83 people two cornea recipients, 75 people whose lives are changed, enhanced, improved through tissue donation, and eight individuals' lives you can save through organ donation. If, if you're listening and you're thinking about donating an 
an organ or thinking about becoming an organ donor, I can't stress enough and, and neither can Jennifer the importance of doing that and how many lives you'll save and how, how much uh, you can impact your community and, and many other families simply by making that choice. It's a wonderful, responsible thing to do for another human being. It's a way that you can touch another life uh, with your own or with the family members. Um, so think about that and become an organ donor. We'll put it on our website. You can just go on, click, and join and decide that you're going you're gonna to help a lot of other people. So come on back. Our next segment, uh, we'll have Jennifer, and we'll talk a little bit about some of the fun things that they're doing over at UTC. And you're listening to On the Record with Tiffany. back with On the Record with Tiffany and uh, my one of my favorite guests, uh, Jennifer Milton with University Transplant Center. Jennifer uh, has been, been uh, in a leadership role in the transplant world for 26 years. Um, so we, we're very honored to have her with us. You know, I, I'd like to just ask you a, on a personal note, as a woman doing what you do, what is that like and what has it been like on your journey of 26 years? Because when you started, there weren't just women running transplant centers all over the country. Um, when I started, an organ, <laughs> I started an organ donation and um, I was an ICU nurse and um, I took care of a patient um, who uh, very unexpectedly had an aneurysm in his mid 40s and uh, late 40s and passed away. And uh, when they got to the part of, you know, he died a brain death and did he want to be an organ donor? His mother was his next to kin and his, his sisters, they all um, were upset, very upset by the question um, and felt like maybe not enough had been done, even though it was such a catastrophic head injury that uh, I think they were still just coming to terms and they felt the question maybe was premature. And they said, absolutely not. And uh, it was a little chaotic. I was, I was stunned as his nurse that, um, you know, the family didn't want to do it. The parent, his mother was very upset at even being asked and uh, felt like her son had never told her what her wishes were. So it was his answer and she wasn't going to give it for him. And, right in the middle of what I would say is kind of chaotic, um, you know, learning your son was brain dead, um, being asked about organ donation and being upset about it. And these real powerful women in this room were very upset. It was ugh, just as emotionally charged. This man's uh, teenage son stood up. He looked afraid of his grandmother. And he said he had, his dad had just taken him to get his um, learner's permit. And that when they, the woman at the DMV asked him, his, asked the boy, do you want to be an organ donor? He said, no. And he said, his dad popped him on the back of the head and said, boy, that's the right thing to do. Why wouldn't you want to be an organ donor? And he and his dad talked about it and he changed his answer. And I, I was so amazed at the power of this young boy to stand up in this room, being overwhelmed at his father's loss and, uh, and kind of, present that to his grandmother and his grandmother just turned right around to the gentleman that was asking about organ donation and said, well, I guess you have your answer. My son did no, we did know what my son's wishes were and we wanted him to be an organ donor. And I, uh, I got off, I was a nurse working 7 PM to 7 AM. I called my husband at 7 AM and said, I am not leaving. This is the most amazing thing I've ever seen. I, I've got to see this through. And I got a chance to stay and watch the donation and, I knew where his heart was going. I knew his liver was going to help two people. His kidneys were going to help two people. And uh, the person that worked at the OPO said to me, do you want to call his son with me? Uh, his son had wanted to know as soon as possible about the people his dad had saved. And I, I can remember everything about that call. I remember the boy's voice and I remember how proud he was of his dad. And I think it forever changed me to know that, um, 
we cannot change, the medical field can rarely change a death, you know, uh, when it's going to happen and we've thrown so many resources to save someone's life and we still can't, um, only a handful of those people qualify to be organ donors and it is such a comfort to their family. I'll, I'll never forget, uh, the, I think, what a difference and how proud that boy must be 26 years later that his dad had created such a legacy uh, for other people. That's what the gentleman told him on the phone. And uh, so um, I, have, uh, I have felt like in my career, that has been my goal. I'm a steward of that gift. Um, I'm a gift to, to help a family who wants to say yes to donation or an individual that wanted to say yes to donation. And then of course, remarkably, the transformation that it gives to other people who are dying to give them more years and a better quality of life. So um, it's a long answer to your question, but I think for me, uh, when you can be in a field that you feel so passionate about, everything else becomes easy. And, um, and I let my stewardship to the patients, the donor families, the trust that we get from our recipients, our dying patients and their caregivers. Um, I just let my passion for that be my guide. And uh, I have a low tolerance for people who uh, aren't uh, uh, as passionate. I will, now, I'm gonna tell my listeners something. Jennifer, uh, when I started in this uh, role, mentored me. And one of the reasons why I asked her to be my mentor, because that's something that you actually have to, to me, a, a mentor is somebody that uh, the mentee should seek out because you seek someone who is uh, true to, to what they say they believe and whose ethos aligns with yours. Right, so, and that person needs to be ahead of you in, in life in some areas or whatever area you're being mentored in. And that's where, that's how you choose someone. Is, is this person true to what they, they say they believe? And that was like one of the most resounding things about Jennifer. I think we had met two times and the second time I was like, hey, would you be my <laughs> Would you mentor me on, uh, as, as I'm going through this? Because I was coming into the kidney world as somebody who had lost nine family members to kidney disease, not as um, a kidney professional. And, uh, and I say that because not to, uh, not to, to uh, uh, boy Jennifer up because I don't have to do that. You can see that yourself. Anybody that's listening can hear that she's passionate about what she does. I say that because uh, it's important. Uh, it was important for me to uh, work with someone that I felt cared about the patients that they serve. There is nothing more important than having a caregiver or a medical professional that's working with you who actually cares about patients. That gives the patient a, a compass and a sense of, of uh, that they can get through those hard moments, that they can get through the difficulty of, and the ups and downs of dialysis and trying to get to a transplant. And, you know, like sometimes you get right to the top of the list, like my little cousin is at the top of the transplant list right now. He's been called four times and it's fallen through four times. <laughs> and you have to have people that, that can kind of hold your hand through that. You know, he lost 167 pounds, by the way, Jennifer, uh, yeah. while on dialysis, lifting weights. You know, I'm a big proponent of, uh, of, of prevention and, and and lifestyle change that you can really affect keep getting a transplant keeping a transplant through through lifestyle change but if it weren't for uh meeting people like you who were so dedicated to this then uh you know i don't know where i would be i definitely am am better at what i do 
because of uh, of the mentoring I received from you at the beginning of, of this. Well, I appreciate it. Any Anyone, we can all help. I, I put you in that category, Tiffany. Um, this profession, particularly the disease of chronic kidney disease, um, it, it takes a special kind of love. Um, and I think the kidney disease, it knocks out your, not just your filtering system to get rid of those toxins, but it creates a type of anemia and fatigue. And, and I, I always said to people, probably in your own life that you've known somebody who's had cancer and been on chemotherapy. And that's certainly no easy go, but it's often an acute situation. So maybe you get a cancer diagnosis and you need three months of chemotherapy or four months of chemotherapy. And people will always talk about how exhausting that is. Um, they have to go get those treatments. Their family has to take off work. And then I just tell people, imagine that was your life for five years. Mm-hmm. And that you personally feel is organic. It's it's biological. You cannot just take a nap and make it better or mm-hmm. change your diet. You can do some things to improve it, but it's just organic. But but the exhaustion that comes with your caregivers, your finances, your social systems and support. Um, and so I think when you're the kind of person like yourself, Tiffany, um, but others that are passionate that are passionate advocates, um, that know how to break down the topic and inspire people to want to help those patients or help themselves if they are a patient. It's a gift. And uh, I think you and your role, me and my role, other leaders in my program, um, that part of our job is as important as the care we deliver, is empowering the caregivers (laughs) to, to be passionate, compassionate, talented, and to always do it better. And on that note, now, see that that's what you need to hear. Anybody that has uh, a chronic illness, anybody that has diabetes or hypertension that's listening, come back and listen some more because uh, we're here with Jennifer Milton. Uh, She's on the front lines of, of the COVID crisis. She's She's been diagnosed with COVID-19, and she's still working to make sure you are educated, informed, and prepared for the pandemic that we're dealing with. So come back. Let's listen a little bit more and get to know Jennifer better and get to know what we can do to be advocates for ourselves and for our fellow men. This, you know, this segment, Jennifer, I just want to talk a little bit about who you are and why we're doing, why you're doing what you're doing. One of the, the uh, reasons why, uh, earlier in the, the week, uh, last week, I'm, I uh, met with, with uh, Dr. Francisco Segura. He works with, with uh, Jennifer. And he's uh, <laughs> yes, he's Jennifer's boss. Um, um, he's everybody's boss. He bosses me around. He bosses everybody. No, no, he's not. He's not a, a bossy person. He's actually like an incredible asset to uh, our community and just somebody that, that uh, I'm very proud of. And Jennifer, you're somebody that I'm very proud of, too. So the reason why I was meeting with him is the reason why I'm meeting with you as well. And that is because... Uh, Right before the pandemic hit, uh, well, it wasn't right before the pandemic hit. A couple of couple, couple of months, three or four months before the pandemic hit, um, <clears throat> I was thinking about what uh, we wanted to do because I, I felt like, boy, our kidney community is making huge strides. We've got the Center for Life. We've got got uh, um, Kumar Sharma uh, discovered a diabetic pathway. You know, you, you're just doing all of this amazing stuff. And so uh, I wanted to, to have an exhibit made called Barrier Breakers with the Negro Baseball League because the Negro Baseball League, uh, they broke barriers. They broke the color barrier. And I thought, okay, let's do that. You know, because we always do that, base, do a baseball game. And so we get the, the, I couldn't get the Negro Baseball League to sign off on barrier breakers for me. 
but I could get them to sign off on on uh, Invisible Diamond. Well, I was like, oh, that's that's our people. Like nobody knows who they are. They're invisible, but they're amazing. You know, this is fabulous. You know, let's do it. So we, uh, the Invisible Diamond, had been they've been working on it for five years, and I, I looked at it and and uh, liked that the uh, that the the players that were highlighted weren't the typical players that you, that are highlighted. It was Rube Foster who actually recruited Jackie Robinson and uh, um, Branch Rickey, you know, was in there too. And Branch Rickey signed Jackie Robinson into the major league and broke the color barrier in major league baseball. So I was like, okay, so we had branch Ricky's the third was coming down to throw out the first ball, just all this stuff that I'd planned. You guys are going to be super surprised. (laughs) COVID-19 shoots everything (laughs) down. Well, I talked to, uh, we, we had the opening uh, for it and, and the exhibit is actually hanging in the, uh, in the San Antonio airport. And we have uh, pop-ups that we've been doing with it. Um, But during that time, I asked if we could, I said, you know, we've got some people, uh, Dr. Sigueroa, Jennifer, they are current history. They are making history right now with the work that they're doing and with how they are serving, not just our community, but the entire United States, but people don't realize that. They are doing work that is influencing every transplant program in the nation. And that is called historic. Well, other people believe the same thing that I do. So we are developing, uh, and of course, you know, I like to get the best whenever I'm doing something like this. So we have the best exhibit builder, one of the best in the uh, world. He has exhibits all over the the uh, nation. One in in Japan right now. Um, so he does he builds stuff all over the globe. He's he's uh, building the exhibit that will uh, follow Dr. Sigueroa, the team with the uh, the task force and other uh, prolific doctors in this state that are are have um, really contributed to what is happening across the nation with kidney disease. And you are one of those faces. So I wanted to uh, surprise, that was the surprise for, for you guys, is that we're, we're going that route. So we, we will, will, no one will ever forget who Jennifer Milton is long after we are all old and dusty. <laughs> and same thing with uh, Dr. Sigueroa because, uh, you know, I have nine family members who are gone from this. I have three who have it now. And uh, you all, if it weren't for the innovation that you've done there, how many families would have the experience that I've had as opposed to the experience of loving their family member and getting to have extended life and years with those uh, loved ones and you guys are providing that you're providing that so so uh, I'll make sure that that uh, it's preserved for the rest of posterity's sake as long as this as long as this world exists that will be there that's what that was my little surprise for you. <laughs> I'm not speechless much, Tiffany, and I do have COVID, so, <laughs> so you got brain fog. So don't don't. <laughs> I um, I um, I'm honored. Um, I'm honored. I uh, I we were asked to present the Center for Life nationally. We're um, the most comprehensive center to ever open. And uh, we've gotten a lot of support from community foundations so that we could build it with a research and a teaching mission. And uh, my presentation was called Steal This Idea, Please. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, I, um, I think that is something I admire so much about working for Dr. Segura for being part of the UT Health San Antonio um, that um, I, I don't think I really understood the role of research and clinical innovation and risk taking. Um, but uh, until I know, you know, we transplanted 10 livers that never would have been transplanted about 10 lives. And that's 10 people that weren't on the waiting list. So really doubled, you know, 20 people got transplanted. And so I, um, um, I'm, I'm honored and, uh, and uh, I know that there's some legendary people on that list, uh, just the names that you rattled off to even be associated with that and to be that barrier breaker. And that's exactly what y'all are, healthcare barrier breakers. And we, you know, we salute you for that because there aren't that, there are so many amazing uh, San Antonians, Texans, women, uh, minorities, you know, with Dr. Dr. Sigueroa is the best of the best. There is not, you know, he, he, I, I think he spoke to my heart when he, he, he spoke in, in my hometown um, in like 2009, it's like been a long time. And he, said that like the hardest transition for him was transitioning from Laredo to Yale. And I thought, man, I can relate to that because, you know, the hardest transition for me was transitioning from Beaumont, Texas, because I grew up like five streets over from the projects. So I go from five streets over from the projects to boarding school. And it was like landing on Mars, you know. I was like, what? <laughs> I've never seen anything like that before, but but I could relate to him and, and what he was saying there was like all of a sudden you're in this environment where where everything in you that that uh needed to grow and 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 that you've been working on all this time, like the intellectual stuff is valued. And you can just soar as much as you want to, you know, there, uh, you know, I, I totally could relate to him. And I, and I felt the same thing about you. I think that what, what brings you all to greatness, you know, the difference between somebody who's, a, who's really good and somebody who's great is that, it's that passion and that relatability that people you know that 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 exists in you that that other people immediately feel and, and are pulled in by. So I just thank you for everything that you do uh, for patients and for for families like like the ones that we serve, and for uh, for you know who you've been to me and helping me to uh, to come into my own in this and figure out where I need to go and what I need to do which is often ambiguous <laughs> in the world of, of uh, you don't know what the path is, but you just have to keep forging forward. So thank you for being innovative and thoughtful about, about kidney patients and about transplant patients in general. Well, my main goal is eventually put myself out of business, Tiffany. You always yeah. say that. <laughs> I hope you achieve your goal, man. <laughs> I think, uh, you know, you can only do so much in healthcare. You, you have uh, confines and, and sh- structures you have to work within. And that's why the Texas Kidney Foundation, the Donate Life America, our local transplants for children. Um, I'm so worried about the plight of nonprofits right now um, mm-hmm. and suffering uh, because all it, it, what I love most and, and in your leadership and your organization is um, is how you've come to the medical professionals in a variety of organizations, sat down and really done a needs assessment. You, you frankly said, I'm not going to come in and say, here's what I need to do. I want to know what you are doing and where you feel there's gaps. And then you create programs that fit just perfectly. Um, and I think that is uh, 
amazing. I just don't think uh, the healthcare milieu, whether it's kidney disease or diabetes or sickle cell or I could name a million other diseases, I don't think patients would ever get as comprehensive and holistic of care without um, our medical nonprofits. And uh, I think we uh, appreciate our collaboration. We appreciate your leadership and your innovative leadership um, that some of the ideas you've taken, some of them you've created and bounced off of us, but some that you've taken and run with um, have been amazing to, to sit back and watch. So uh, it's been a great partnership. Thank you, thank you, and, and I've enjoyed that, that partnership. All right, Jennifer, thank you for taking your time and, and talking to us, and go rest. You're the best looking COVID patient, as I've said, <laughs> that I've seen. <laughs> um, and and I, I just appreciate every, uh, you spending the day with us, spending an hour with us, and, and talking to my listeners. I hope you all who are listening, I hope you feel better and I hope you stay informed. If you need any information about what's going on with COVID-19, then, then uh, go to University Health Systems, go to their website. You can't get a better source of information and a better resource than UHS. They are your, your uh, local um, hospital for the public. That's your local public hospital, and, and they are there working in research and for you every day. So have a wonderful week, and I'll see you again next week on On the Record with Tiffany. You've been enjoying On the Record with Tiffany. We encourage you to share these stories with friends and family. You can listen to other shows by going to 930amtheanswer.com. And join us next week for On the Record with Tiffany on 930am The Answer.